Okay, I think we're on. So my podcast is called 60 Second Spark. Have y'all even ever listened to it? That's okay. We'll we'll start with this one. What do you, you do got, then? You got you have an iPhone, right? You can get. What do I you don't have? Phone. She does. She got green bubbles. You got an iPad, don't you? Oh my god! I don't okay. use it. I don't use it. I I had, t- do you have Spotify? <laughs> okay, we'll have to, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out a way. Uh, I'll figure out whatever platform you can listen to it on. Uh, but either way, my podcast is called Sixty Second Spark. And this is episode six. So congratulations. Welcome. Um, Okay. So this is a pretty important episode for me personally to sit down with my uncle, my aunt, and my dad to kind of just talk to y'all about your experiences growing up uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas um, in the 50s, 60s time frame, just with everything that we've seen over the past couple weeks, a uh, couple years in terms of sort of seeing a lot of parallels right now with like protests and um, unrest and just a lot of anger um, and what we saw with the civil rights movement and the things that you all were alive for um, the last time we kind of had this historical time period. So um, I just want to start out with a little bit of background for our family, for the Robinson family. Um, So my uncle Ambrose is here. He is the oldest of four. um, And then my Dad, Kenneth, is the second oldest. And how many years are you behind Uncle Ambrose, dad? What's the age gap? Four, please. Four years. Okay. And then my Aunt Rita is the third oldest with a couple years. She's still a sprite young chicken. She's still counting your fingers. Yes. Yeah, two two years behind Kenneth. And then my Aunt Annette is the youngest, um, and she passed away a couple years ago from breast cancer, so um, we are unable to interview her for this, but so we have all of the living Robinson kids, and it's interesting to know, I was thinking about this after we got off of our sync call the other day of um, just kind of how tight our line is in terms of with um, Kim being the oldest of the first cousin, so Uncle Ambrose is oldest, dropping down all the way to me being the youngest of all of our first cousins, which is interesting. So my uncle Ambrose having three kids, uh, my dad having my brother and I, and then my aunt Rita having three daughters, um, which is wild. And then already we've seen great grandkids with, I mean, both uncle Ambrose and aunt Rita, both of you have, do you, does that great kid? Grandkids. No, just grandkids. Uh, Uncle Ambrose only has grandkids. But Aunt Rita has great grandkids, right? Corey's and uh, Reagan's new baby, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's it's interesting how we already have, what is that, four generations? It's also interesting the youngest of us is the one with the most kids. (laughs) I'm just saying that. She has the most in her life. Dad, we, do we talk about the questions that we that are asked and then stay on topic? 
Okay, so that's kind of just our family line um, and really just to have the opportunity to talk to y'all about this and get it on tape, I guess, or whatever in the cloud um, and recorded since, you know, time is not stopping and and we've, we've been going on here. And I don't think, I think it's interesting to also know of our family, I feel like we're not a very emotional, sherry family. What do y'all think? I don't, I don't know. I did, I talked to Uncle Ambrose in like emojis and I talked to Aunt Rita maybe every couple of years and I don't really even talk to my own dad that much. So I feel like we aren't the, cl not like emotionally closest of families. But in my opinion, I think we all know each other's emotions, no matter what, you know? If if something is wrong with Rita, I can't feel it. And some same thing with Ambrose. We we when he was having some of his problems and stuff, I touched base with him and found out problems, health problems. Yeah, I would say that's fair. I would say we we're all really good at knowing what's going on with each other. <laughs> okay, that's besides the point. We all See, on that. What? We're still eating popcorn. Oh. Um, okay. So I want to start, I want to go in order and um, kind of start with you, Uncle Ambrose. Um, and just talk about kind of what, what your earliest memories are in terms of like being at home in Little Rock and high school and what you were kind of dealing with personally. Well, I'm Ambrose, and I'm 77 years old this year, so I was born in 19... Stop reading. I was born in 1942, so the earliest I remember of Little Rock was in the 50s. That's the earliest that I can recall clearly. And our dad... I got hit by a car on Red Avenue across the street from Dunbar High School. What? Uh, we were living in an apartment at that time. And everybody was all excited but me, and I was under the car playing in the, <clears throat> in the grease on the axles. But uh, after that, I can, can't remember too much until we, my dad built a house uh, in 1952, I think it was. And then after we moved, brand new house in 19, whatever, 52, which was a blessing. And what that did was it kept us out of the mainstream, even though we were in a black neighborhood, it was a newer, uh, one of the newer neighborhoods, so we didn't see many black folk, and we were very shielded as kids. <clears throat> uh, the one thing I can remember in 1953 is the new 5340 bought after we got to the house, the, fifth, the green on green board, and I love that car and so forth. And then the next thing I can remember, as far as the segregation is concerned, was I think it was uh, Emmett Till was killed in 1955, mm -hmm. and all of that morbid, uh, morbid stuff that that went on then and is still going on in our, in the backgrounds now, and then you don't hear about it as much. Right. Um, then <clears throat> Orville Farbus closed the schools because Little Rock Central was to be integrated in 1958. And he didn't want the black folk going, so Eisenhower, who was president at the time, um, sent the National Guard in to protect those going to that school. 
And one, all of my neighbors went to that school, and literally two doors down, all of my neighbors went to that school. The school was only like what three, four blocks from my house. Central. So, was. yes, Little okay. Rock Central. So I told my dad, I said, look, uh, they had briefed all of the kids that were supposed to go to tell them what they should expect and what they should do if somebody spat in your face and somebody did various things, threw things at you. And I told him I couldn't handle it. I said, I'd kill somebody if they did that to me. So he says, you don't have to go. You can go to Horace Mann. And I did. I went to Horace Mann for that year. And then the schools were closed, so I had to take correspondence courses from the University of Arkansas. Um, and miss my labs. Okay. But I let the, the one that were there then, and I'm not going to come in if you need anything else. Okay. Um, so when when you talked to your parents, and was it, do, who do you think you had the most contact with in terms of saying, like, I don't want to go to Central? Was it, do you think it was? My dad. Okay. My dad. And what was his yeah, reaction? He, he said, okay. <laughs> it was. Not a problem. You don't have to go. And what, did you did you ever get like a good feel for how your parents, so my grandparents, felt about kind of being at this forefront of the integration piece, or whether they were kind of all for it? Or obviously, you know, they weren't pressuring you to go to Central, so that wasn't a conversation that no. that they had with y'all. We never got a good feel for that. I knew that they didn't care for what they grew up in. My dad had his issues. I know mom had had her issues. She uh, spent a lot of time in in Malvern, which was about 20 miles or so down the road. And she had they had issues down there before they moved to Little Rock. But other than that, I don't think that they appreciated it. But they uh, they kept us shielded from all of these events. Right stuff that was going on and we didn't watch the news that much because we didn't have a tv until what 55 or something like that i don't remember oh interesting and we'd listen to the radio we'd gather up in front of the radio turn the radio on and listen to the various whatever was on the radio okay okay so um when did what, what was the gap between the so you went to horace man and that was happening you went that there. That was 1958, mm -hmm. and then they had closed the school that year, so I missed my labs. In 1959, I graduated and uh, went to, uh, was supposed to have had a scholarship. I did have a scholarship to the University of Arkansas, mm -hmm. but they told me that I would could not stay in the dorm with all of the rest of the players. I would have to stay in an apartment outside off, off campus because I was black. They didn't say because I was black, but we knew that's what it was. Yeah. So we decided that I wasn't going to go, we, Dad and I, that I wasn't going to go to, you go to University of Arkansas either. So he was a Tuskegee grad, so I mm -hmm. went to Tuskegee instead. I played basketball in Tuskegee, as a matter of fact. Okay. And how, how did that, how did you feel about that? Like, did you want to go to... To Arkansas, and then it was kind of a letdown, or you were just like, mm, I, it's time for me to go? No, it was, um, I had a scholarship. I was a good player. OB Elders was my, our high school coach, and he was an ex-globe trotter that got hurt in the wreck with Junius Kellogg, mm -hmm. and he had to stop playing basketball and start coaching. So he was our high school coach, mm -hmm. and he told me I was pretty good and I thought I was pretty good too and still think that until I couldn't run anymore but anyway I had a scholarship at the University of Arkansas to play basketball 
And um, they, after they told me what they did, I said, no way, I'm not going there. But, you know, uh, tuition back in those days was eh, hundred and something dollars a quarter or something. Right. <laughs> so I went to Tuskegee, and that's, that was my dad's alum. Okay. Did you play sports there? Yeah, played basketball. Okay. I remember, remember playing against Lord A&M and all of those teams, Southern University, all those teams down in the SCAC South, I guess is what it's called now. Okay. Um, all right. So we'll, so let's talk about, Dad, let's talk about some of your, your growing up and then we'll kind of come back to some of the other stuff we talked about the other day. Um, so when you went, so you decided to go to Central, Dad. Um, well, why, I guess? If, if you knew that you had an option because Uncle Ambrose was like, yeah, no. Uh, why would you do that? Um, first, I didn't know I had an option. Uh, and Central was in our district at that time because you got to remember this is five years after 1957. Mm -hmm. So, we're talking 1962, a whole lot of things that already happened before I even went over there. Right, because you went to Central from 1962 to 1965, and in high school, is it still like that in Little Rock? Is high school only three years, or did they go to the ninth grade now? No, at that time, high school stopped in 10th grade. No, I know that, Dad. I just said, is it still like that? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I read it. Is it still like that? that? They, 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 they have 10th and 11, 19th, 11th, and 12th. Okay, so they have four years now. Okay. Okay, so when y'all were there, when y'all were all in high school, right, it was it was three years. Okay, go ahead, Dad. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> uh, my whole thing was, okay, it's, it's close. The school is close. I'm going to have to walk to school every day anyway. I used to tell you guys all those stories about walking to school in the snow. Well, now that I know it was only a couple blocks from your house. Oh, but it's true. <laughs> but at any rate, um, that was one of the reasons. But the other reason was because my mom wanted, your grandmother wanted us to be able to, you know, wanted me to be able to get a, a whole lot better education than I would have gotten it at Horace Man. You got to remember, a lot of things went down between. I don't remember, Dad. I wasn't alive. Exactly. A lot of things happened, and including the quality of the education. They completely, Horace Man was a lot of stuff. So everything was happening in the central. So I was going to go. And with my mom's blessing, it's that simple. So, you know, Dad had nothing to say about it. He actually, if I remember correctly, and I wasn't directly told this by him, but uh, I didn't think he wanted me to go. Are you, because, were you a mama's boy, Dad? Am I? <laughs> Are you a daddy's girl? No. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. But at any rate... Uh, you didn't, I'm serious. Were you were you closer to grandma than you were there with grandpa? Because it seems like Uncle Ambrose was having more of these conversations with with um, grandpa, and you were having more of these conversations with grandma. That's true. Okay. That's true. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you know, when you look at it that way, yes, that's true. Okay. Um, he 
as far as I was concerned, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to do anything. That's how and you felt. Which, huh? That's how you felt. That's what he told me. He was telling me that all the time. And I would always try and be better than what he was telling me. And I didn't find out until I grew up what he was doing. He was laying reverse psychology on wow. work, right? That's all he was doing, was laying reverse psychology. And, and he knew I was going to try and prove him wrong. Mm-hmm. So he always tell me I wasn't that good at something. And I'd just get better and right. better and better. So for that reason, he did support me in everything that I did. Okay. To tell me, tell me a little bit about your um, the league that you were in, the youth league. What was it? You're, you're speaking of the Arkansas Youth Council on Human yes. Relations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, when I was in the tenth grade, I chaired that commission. We actually started with Dr. Martin Luther King came up and helped us form it with, with Daisy Bates and and uh, and all of that crew. So what did and y'all what were y'all responsible for doing? We were the youth uh, interracial commit uh, commission uh, people I guess you could call us a committee. Mm-hmm. But we were the youth. Okay. Yeah. Two kids, black and white. And we so know, how we, we see in like the movies like Selma how they have those kids and they go into like the basement and are like training to do sit-ins and stuff and is it sort of like that is it more of like group meetings what was it what was it actually that y'all were doing you know for me that was radical and don't get me wrong they created what it created but to me that was radical for us. Little okay. Rock wasn't that kind of a place right. for us to go through the kind of things that they went through in Birmingham. Right. Because they, they were in the thick of it. So, yes. They, they, they were the ones. Okay. <laughs> so everything that they did was always on national news. Yeah. We didn't have that kind of coverage, but we still did things. We went, you know, we tried to integrate the movie theaters because they wouldn't let us go to the movie theaters downtown. And so we tried to do that. The white kids would go buy the tickets and all of us try to go in and they wouldn't let us, that type of thing. And those are the kind of things we tried. We tried to integrate the uh, the uh, pool out of uh, uh Park. Yeah. <laughs> and they wouldn't let us go in there. <laughs> we had to go to Gillum Park, which is way, way out young on top of the Way out young. But, uh, yeah, and Grand Mountain. We took the ditch to get out there. <laughs> yeah. So I asked that yeah. because when we talked about when we talked about this earlier, you said that there was you couldn't just choose to go to Central, right? No, you couldn't. So t- tell me about yeah. that. Well, when I went, I don't know when really what they did with Rita, but when I went, they actually chose us mm-hmm. because they wanted to get the brightest and the least. Um, Oh, I'm looking for the Yeah, the least combative of us. Yes, so the ones that not You, Kenneth spot. Robinson? Huh? They said you were going to be the least combative? I was. At the time, he was. I, I, you'd be surprised, Rita. Uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> My name is. Uh, yeah, I'm really 
Good, mom's got a dollar time. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, no, things happened to me over there that, that like Ambrose said, had it happened to him, mm -hmm. he'd kill somebody. I got shot at. At <laughs> school? Know, I, I got in, in school itself. My first year there, uh, they, you know, there was a lot of uh, inward calling and you know, I don't really want to sit on your podcast, but it was a lot of it, a lot of spitting, a lot of bumping into you in the hallway, mm. things that nature to try and provoke you mm -hmm. because they knew if anything happened, they were going to kick us out first. Right. They weren't going to kick the white boys out. So we had to not take nothing. And one of the things that they did to me, and I don't think I told you this, Ashley, but when I first got there, they put me in charge of the bookstore. Mm -hmm. Okay? And uh, I was surprised because, first off, you know, no, you know, we've only been over there for, what, four or five years. So why put me in charge of the one thing that had you had to handle money with? Mm -hmm. And I figured it out by the time I was a senior that what that was one of their ways of getting me to integrate and I'm using that word loosely with the rest of the school. Okay. So like visibility because, and they have to come and talk to you type thing? Yeah, because okay. you know, they come into the bookstore to buy stuff, we start talking, blah 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 blah. Right. So but um, I got to add, it was the first time those three years that I ran the bookstore was the first time and the only time <laughs> that it ever made money. Uh, okay. <laughs> Never had a problem. <laughs> we'll take your word for it. I guess I didn't do what some people thought I would do. <laughs> okay. So you experienced some of that in just your classroom type everyday experiences, but you also you also played sports. I didn't hear half of what you said. So you also played sports. So those were like yeah. kind of your mainstream experiences. So you also played sports, played basketball, and you ran track. Right. Um, talk to me about some of your sports experiences. Because it sounds like, or at least from what I think I heard from you growing up, those were some of your more significant, um, I mean, I'll just yes. call it what it is, like racial traumas that came from your youth. If, if you, if. I first just remember something. I'm a 14 year old kid. Right. No, I, 14? Just remember that. 14 year old kids are innocent. <laughs> yeah. 14 year old kids are innocent. When I first went to school, I was 14. And we don't know what time it is. We grew up in a very sheltered area anyway. So I didn't look at that other side, if you will, as being something other than just my classmates or just my teammates or whatever. I didn't I didn't look at it any other way because I heard it on ours to look at it okay. any other way. So even when they're preparing you and telling you they're going to be doing the, these things to you or they're they're going to be treating you. That's because racism is taught and we right. weren't taught that. Exactly. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. That's exactly true. Okay. And and all they were telling us is what not to do when things happen. Okay. They didn't right. tell why. 
So because you hadn't experienced it yet, it was still difficult for you to see other people as sort of this other side of a racial divide then. Exactly. Okay. And that's a good way of putting it. And uh, as such, you know, I ran track for three years. Again, you remember there were uh, nine tenths, I mean, tenth, eleven, and twelfth grade. That's high yeah. school. Yes. So after that, I led three years in track. I was that good. How good? Don't ask me. Here's the thing. The, we had such a good track team that we could specialize. So I, in, my, in my first year, I ran hurdles, I high jumped, and I long jumped in my first year. Mm-hmm. Second two, my second and third year, I only long jumped because we didn't need a hurdler. We didn't need a high jump. We had people who were better than me, even though I was good. Right. But, but, we had, but our track team won everything that we went out. And the first problem that we ever had was when I was a freshman, we went down, we won the state championship and all of that stuff, and the meet champs and all that, reading those with all that is. And we were invited to a state-on-state track meet with Louisiana mm-hmm. down in uh, El Dorado, Arkansas. We're, okay. So we went. That's that's right on the border. That's right on the border, of Louisiana. We went down there, and when they saw me, they said, and "I'm a state champion." You got to remember, I'm a state. I'm a state long. No, I got to keep putting that in there because I was good. Okay. okay. Yes. But the when they saw me on the team, they refused to have the meet. They said, no, we, we, we're not going to compete if he's on the team. And so they had to come to a compromise. And they said, okay, we can com- they'll, they'll let me compete in my one event because that's all I was doing. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't count that event. Towards the <laughs> team scores? It, it, it wouldn't score. Wow. You know, out of what? Yeah, it, you know, so in other words, they wanted to make sure I didn't figure in them getting a the best beat. This sort of another <laughs> Right, okay. But I did my event, I jumped one time, mm-hmm. and I told I, I put all of my, <laughs> my sweats back on, and I told the, the guy who was running there, I said, if somebody beats that, call me. And nobody did. Because mm-hmm. I jumped, I was an average 24 foot jumper then. Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody ever beat me. So, you know. But we, we, we trounced. When the rest of the guys knew what had happened, you should have seen. They, it's like they stepped up another notch. And, and we beat them so bad, it was a shame. And they spoke to one of the best track team um, track programs in the country. Yeah. and that, But that was routine. It seems like that was routine for you to see it was. people refuse to play against you and mm-hmm. you know, compete against you as well. Exactly, and especially in basketball. The reason I didn't play varsity basketball in the 10th grade wasn't because I wasn't any good to make varsity. It's because all the other schools in the conference and everything said, no, we're not going to play. And and just to be clear, you're the only black player. In the state. In the entire state. Yes. Okay, and and then so obviously that means you're the only black person on your teams, but then you're also not seeing anybody like you either. Exactly, exactly. And this is this is 1962, at this yeah. point. Two sixty three season. Okay. So I was on what they call the B team, 
which is like JV. You're on JV, Dad? Yeah, girl. Can Man. you believe it? And, um, and we, even then, we only played nine games because they wouldn't let us travel. So all our games were at home. Mm-hmm. So, so the next year, my coach was an ex-NBA player. He played with the Syracuse Nack. And uh, he, oh, he, wait, Calcott was 6'8", mm-hmm. <laughs> way about 260, you big dude. Yeah. I mean, you're 6'7", though, so I don't... Were you always, wait, this is a side question. Were you always 6'7", or when did that, how tall were you in high school at this point? 6'6". Six, 6'6", six. Six, six. okay. So you were about I, the same. Oh, I, I was always You were there. Tall. I was tall even in elementary school, you know. So you didn't do uh, a David where it's just like all of a sudden you're a tower. No, no, Okay. No. You know, it was like, you know, I was six feet in the, in the sixth, in the fifth grade, fourth grade. You were grade, always tall and gangly is what. Thank Just, you. Okay. Because I, you know, my <laughs> playing weight, no, that's serious. My playing weight, in, even in college, was 195 pounds. Okay. That, that, that question didn't have anything to do with anything. I guess I just, that just popped I, in my head. <laughs> but I'm the one that grew. I grew from huh? six foot five eleven to six four to six seven. Yeah. I'm the one that grew in about three years. And I'm, I'm really? only about six 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 five and a half now, but he was always tall. Yeah. yeah. What a weird... But, we have a tall family. It, Anyways. It, it comes David the same way. Well, but even Aria and Annette. Dad was six foot two. Mom was 5'11", approximately. Yeah, see. And uh, that's where I came from. Yeah, and Annette was 5'11". Yeah. And yeah. you... How tall are you already? You're like six... For the hype up. Yeah, look at James Kelly and... and and Samuel Earl, both of them. Okay, we don't know who those people are, Dad. This is a podcast world. But... <laughs> the point we're making. Sorry, when I got us off track. When I got ready to play basketball, they we only played nine home games. Okay. Because they wouldn't let us travel. No team would play us on their court. Okay. So Because you were court. on the team. Yeah. I was okay. up, that was the B team, JV. But the next year, when they kept handed out uniforms, I never will forget this. You know, the way he did, he picked his varsity. Well, he would hand everybody uniforms after the last practice. Mm-hmm. I didn't get one. And I'm going, wait a minute. You know, I'm thinking to myself now, I'm the best player you got. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get a uniform? I stormed out of the gym. And you know, got all my stuff out of the locker and went home. <laughs> and Ambrose can take Mama's here, what you doing here? <laughs> I'm not rah, 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 rah. I'm not going to make rah, 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 rah. You know. She's oh yes you are. You're going back. You are not going to quit. What you are gonna do is keep on doing what you do. And you'll be okay. And if it wasn't for her and that conversation, it was long. The conversation was long. I've never I've never played basketball or something. I would only run track. But I went back. They 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 played their first game in North Little Rock, fell down, and lost. Got smacked. Huh? Got smacked. They got, they got killed. And so coach called my mom the next morning and said, I need to find out. I I, I gotta I, I'm a I, I gotta have Ken. I gotta have him. 
you know, what do you guys think about what's going to happen when he shows up? So and they wanted to talk to your parents about what you might face racially before before they even came to you and said, hey, will you be on the team? No. No. That's what's funny about it. Again, we're oh, back I, to... I misunderstood what... So what did he... I'm sorry. Go back to the phone call then, because that's what I, I thought I heard. Oh you're, oh, you're talking about before I played that first varsity game? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's, okay. that's when he talked about it. Yes. Okay. He, he told them about that. And that uh, my mom came to me and said, hey, look, Coach wants you to, she didn't tell me why. She mm-hmm. said, Coach wants you to show up at the gym early so he can, he can blah, 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 blah. Oh, man, now I'm up. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get to play, I'm going to get to play. Yeah. Right. And because that's all I was thinking about. Got over there and um, the word got out that I was going to play that mm-hmm. next game because it, it, it was a tournament. Mm-hmm. And the word got out that I was going to play. They had people literally, and I know you've heard this as an expression, but they had people literally in the raft. Mm-hmm. The, the gym hosts, what, 1,500 people, 3,000 people there. And guess who wasn't there? Who? Your dad. My dad. And the reason he wasn't there is because they, they threatened him. They told him at the door, you're not coming in here. You are not coming in here. Well, my son, don't give a damn who your son is. You're not coming in here. Of course, they use worse words. But but my dad never saw me play a basketball game in my time in high school on the road. Hmm. Never. Not on the road. Games at home, that was a different ball game. He was in his little corner with a couple of the other parents and stuff. Mm-hmm. They were with the bond, you know. But on the road, you couldn't go. So tell me about some of the other things you experienced, I think, when you traveled, I think was probably the most tension you saw, right? We won uh, a tournament up in Fort Smith, which is up in the north, uh, northwest portion of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And we won a tournament up there. And on the way home, after that tournament, we stopped in BB. That's the name of the city, BB, Arkansas, for, for some dinner. Mm-hmm. Got off the bus and everything. I had the trophy. <clears throat> we were all celebrating, all of us. Got off the bus and everything, and they came out and told told the coach that they weren't going to they weren't going to feed me. So what? Oh, we can't feed him. So coach came to me and said, "Look, man, they 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 we are not going to eat here. We, we're going to just go." I said, "No, coach." I made a decision. I said, nah, just bring me a couple of hamburgers. I'll hang out on the bus and let the guys go and do that thing. And in the meantime, the cooks and stuff in the back, mm-hmm. they heard what happened. They set me a table in the kitchen. <laughs> Candles and everything. Came and got me. I had steak and all this other good stuff mm-hmm. because they set me up. The, the black people in the, in the restaurant set me up. But we got back on the bus. When we got back on the bus to leave, evidently somebody had made a phone call because mm-hmm. the bus was surrounded. By what? By all of these flag-waving, you know, stars and bars people. Like Confederate flags? Confederate flags, mm. yeah. Stars and bars. And 
they were, you know, shouting and blah, 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 blah. We had to end up calling the police, which took them about an hour to get there. Right. You know, we're talking BB. You can spit and you can be in and out of town, mm -hmm. right? And it took them about an hour to get there just to let the bus leave. They were, they were, they were after me. Mm. I mean, you know, my coach was still my protector. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff I didn't know about until later. So That's how old were you when that happened? Happen. Huh? How old were you when this when this happened? That that's my uh, that was my junior year. So what? Sixteen? Sixteen? Fifteen? Sixteen? Sixteen. Oh. It's traumatic. It was traumatic. I didn't know that until I got to college. Mm -hmm. Because then I didn't have that kind of stuff happen to me, and all of this that I've been holding in for three years came out. Right. Right. So. So when we we sort of you you chose to go to Central, um, you were highlighted and seen as someone that could basically handle it at the time, right? So would you do it again? Yeah, you would. I would, and uh, I wish I could do it again, knowing what I know now. What do you know now? Certain other things differently. What do you know now? Well. I know now what real racism is. I know now that in certain areas, I don't care how good you are, they don't, they, people won't care. They only see this. The color of your skin. That now. Whereas then, I'm just looking at, hey, am I better than you as a basketball player? That's all I'm looking at. Right. And I've ever looked at, even when I made the All-Star team, me and the guys, we talked about that. Guys from all over the state, we talked about that. The fact that we were such competitors when we played against each other, we didn't talk about the color of your skin. Or yeah. We didn't talk about that. That's why athletes or athletics is the best way, in my opinion, to do integration. Right. Yeah. Well, you have shared interests. Yes. And that shared interest outweighed everything else. Yeah. Everything. You know, I had the guys come over to the house. I don't know if Rita can remember this, but we had, you know, when I was on the All-Star team, you don't remember that? We had guys come over to the house. Mom cooked it, cooked for them and stuff. And they were talking about how one of, them, one of the best experiences they ever had. Right? I, I wish there was, like, some sort of camera. I wonder where Aunt Rita was for, like, all of these, <laughs> all oh, these I, things. When we I'm got a her story. It was so interesting. But uh, okay, so so you would do it again if you went yes. back in time. I guess knowing what you know now. Um, but when you went to college, you ended up going to Denver University, which is Correct. so random that you went to Colorado um, with very good offers on the table for other schools. So yeah. I mean, like we would. I've seen. I've personally seen the letters from Oklahoma and Baylor. Um, some big schools for basketball specifically, um, and you didn't choose to go to those places. Why not? Why Denver? Quite frankly, uh, and I think I put I spoke with a, a reporter about this. I didn't want to be the first again someplace. And um, if I, I'd have gone to school at some of those schools like Baylor, North Carolina, even. 
Yeah, I had a UNC. In a way, going backwards again, I wish I'd have gone there. Because Charlie Scott went there the same year. Remember him, bro? And Charlie Scott ended up on the Boston Celtics for 14 years. <laughs> but he missed was there, opportunities. He was yeah. Missed I mean, opportunities, yeah. K-Rob. But the point being is, I didn't want to go down to Baylor and be the only black guy on the team. Because that's what was happening. That's kind of, yeah. That area of Texas was pretty not forward thinking at the time, was it? What was it? That area of Texas wasn't. No, that area of the South, period. Because I got a letter, Ambrose was talking about the letter he got, you know, talking about he can't stay in a dorm. He can come play, but he can't stay in a dorm. Yeah, you can dance for us, but he can't. My dad got a letter from, from from an alumnus at. University of Arkansas and told me not to bring my ass up. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was rampant. I mean, this is what ten years later, almost. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, and they're still saying the same thing. And so, no, it it, it wouldn't have been a pretty thing. I, I, you know, in a game, you know, we were talking about the things that happened. I, we had a guy come out of the, out of the stands on me in a game with a gun. In college. And high school. Oh, in high school, okay. Yeah, college. I don't want that kind of stuff to be happening right. in college. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You had had your and fill you that in, high in high school. I wasn't aware of what was going on. Yeah. Okay. All right, so shifting, shifting down, downshifting to Aunt Rita. Um, so I think we established... <laughs> We established you were you also went to Central High School, um, but in 1967. So you were there. You graduated in 1967. Mm-hmm. So you were there at the she same time. Yeah. So you spent a, you overlapped a year with Dad. So, um, but you were involved in a lot of different things. Did you ever play sports? I don't think I've ever asked you that question. Uh, not in high school. Not in high school. No. Okay. So. Uh, you- in college, but not high school. You did? What did you play in college? No, no. Tennis. <laughs> Bowling. Tennis. Bowling. Yeah. Okay. I remember that. These are technically sports. Okay. Um, tennis is a good sport. Yeah. Sorry. That was, I just realized I never asked you that before. Um, so tell me about your high school experience then, Aunt Rita. Well, mine, mine was quite different from my brothers, both of my brothers, because uh, when I started, well, Kenneth, had already paved the way at Central, and when I got over there, however, I was it was two blacks in my homeroom, a, a guy and myself, and I was the only black in a lot of my classes. But mm-hmm. that didn't bother me, and uh, I made a lot of friends, white friends, and um, the ones that weren't my friend, I just ignored them. You know, they they could say or do whatever they wanted, and and it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. I, Kept on doing what I was doing. And then I had white ones looking after me, white friends looking after me, too. But I played uh, played the piano, so I played for the acapella, well, acapella choir, but we, we did, we used music also. I played for the choir, and um, and it was about maybe three three or four blacks in the choir. Mm-hmm. and um, But I was the only one that played the piano. And um, I played for a group called Sing Out Arkansas. 
And I don't know, there was a group called Sing Out America at that time, Up With People. Uh, and I played the Sing Out Art. So, like in Waiting trail. to Exhale, Up With the People? <laughs> that's, like, that's a real thing. You know what I'm talking about? In Waiting to Exhale? He wants to go on the choir trip and his the oh. group is called Up With the People. Anyway. Okay, okay. <laughs> you need to brush up so, on your black classics. Uh, and we got to go to Estes Park, Colorado, to the amphitheater up there. And we did a concert with others from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Sing Out America there. And uh, so and I got to play a little bit there, too. Hmm. But anyway... Uh, so I, all the kids in the Sing Out Arkansas group, not all of them, but a lot of them went to Central High, and we practiced together, and we did other things together socially, because we went to a ranch one of the kids owned, and we rode horses. I think I was only black there wow. at that time, and uh, so I, I had a pretty good time. I, you know, I say that it was a bad time for me over there. Mm-hmm. I didn't have all that spitting in the face and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, Do you think <laughs> that being a girl made it any different? Because you did mention the other day that huh. you have classmates that did not have a good, as good of an experience. Right, right. I, I think being a girl did make a difference because my classmate was a boy and he did not enjoy it at all. So he didn't go to our 50th class reunion mm. because of that. But uh, being a girl, yes, made a difference. And then I was not uh, very vocal. I was quiet, you know. So I guess if I had been uh, one of those that spoke out a lot, mm-hmm. I probably might not have made it too well. <laughs> right, right. But uh, I, I was, I was kind of quiet and I kind of went along with, uh, whatever was going on and you know didn't have any problems I don't know if this has anything re- related to like your your experiences growing up um, but you are the only one currently I guess Annette didn't leave either but why why choose to stay in Little Rock because dad kind of shot out to California and Uncle Ambrose well, and you notice the boys got to leave Arkansas to go yeah. to college? Yes. So I wanted to leave Arkansas. My parents said, well, you need to stay here at least a year. Well, when I stayed that year, I went to UALR, mm-hmm. our, which was LRU, Little Rock University, one year. And kind of got myself established and got a little scholarships. Of course, tuition, like they were saying, was not very much. I had a $100 scholarship a semester and uh, kind of got myself established here and got into things. And, and so this is where I ended up. And when I finished school, I got a job in Jacksonville. So I just kind of stayed right close to home and got married. <laughs> did, yeah. did you, you, so you did want to leave after high school, but I did, I did. I wanted to venture out, but my, my parents didn't want me to. Interesting. I think they were overprotective, yeah, of me because I was a girl. Interesting. I said no mm-hmm. reason to do that either. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we, if we fast forward a little bit, so that that's y'all's background, if we fast forward. I thought we had some interesting things that we talked about. So if we come from the basically let me tell you one thing that I just thought about yeah go ahead um, 
when I was getting ready to go to college, we were taking these SATs and all of these other crazy exams. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you got about five minutes. All these crazy exams. And I had to retake another exam because I scored so high on it. They said, no black folk can score that high. You have to retake it. And they had me in the room by them, by myself with instructors standing around watching me. And I scored even higher on the second. Wow. <laughs> that's the kind of racism that we, we, we went through. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's what we went through. And also, one other thing, Ashley, when, when I got ready to graduate, I had a counselor, and she was white. And she told me, you don't need to go to college. You're not college material. You need to go to a trade school. Well, I, I ignored that. And I went and I majored in music right. and I went, got my master's. And I graduated with that for 3.8. So, right. Know. Yeah, that's the way they treated us. And one other yeah. thing, and, and this almost same thing happened to you, which is ironic because it did happen to me. Yeah. I was. Yeah, I made an all-star team. I was an all-American in, in high school. And you've seen the certificate. And in college, my first year, I was a preseason All-American pick on the same team with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and, and those guys. That's and crazy that y'all are like, yeah. all those old heads, like y'all are the same, like the same yeah. era, the same class of... And you know what, I, and I don't mean to cut you off, Dan, but I always think nope. about this sometimes. It's just, it's so interesting, like, who, who of the black people that were good, right? Because you were running with these same dudes. And in Uncle Ambrose, same thing. Like, y'all were running with these dudes. But it's like, who made it and who didn't, you know? And yeah. I feel like it was just so random. Like, they just, like, threw whatever in the air and like, okay, Kareem made it or Bob McAdoo made it or whatever. And you know, yeah. you just didn't, I don't know but if that made sense, but. I know what you're thinking and you, and statistically and scientifically, you're right. It was a random thing. Yeah. But a lot of us were good. I mean, we were good. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you played against Bill Russell, you played against all these. Yes. And Moses would, Malone, like all these big names. They wouldn't let us play baseball down there, for an example. So we played at the community center, yeah. right? And we're beating semi-pro teams. Right. But we were all black kids, right? But they wouldn't play, let us play with the white kids. Yeah. But, you know, Paul Hayes, and everyone's know Paul Hayes was probably the best catcher I had ever seen from the standpoint of when he was a 17-year-old kid yeah. and what he could have done. But the person who ended up breaking that color line was one of our cousins. Hmm. And he ended up playing for the Cardinals. Hmm. Bill Brooks. Yeah, Bill. Bill Brooks. William oh, Brooks. Wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to I didn't mean to sidetrack you there, Dad. But I just, that just <laughs> no, you what you said kind of made me remember <laughs> those thoughts. Of... Well, that was the same the same thing quickly, but that was the same thing. I, I went to the Navy and stayed in the Navy and played on the All-Navy team, 1964-65. I made All-Navy, and one other guy made All-Navy with me, and he got out to Navy. I stayed in, and he went to play for the Celtics. Oh. <laughs> and, 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 and Mr. Here's something that's, that's notable, and I don't even know if you knew this. But Ambrose's high school coach, his wife, was the uh, Surgeon General under Surgeon Clinton. General, United States, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. 
Elders. Elders was her last name. Rosalind. Rosalind? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting how history kind of overlaps with those things and and what we see. I mean, us being tied into the basketball world, um, just knowing that you, especially Dad and Uncle Ambrose, were interlaced with a lot of like these hardwood classics, if you will. Um, It's just... To me, it still blows my mind, but but I do want to talk a little bit about um, y'all's time as police officers, because as we are kind of in this, uh, and Uncle Ambrose, I looked up what you told me the other day, so I'm going to bring that up, but in this time when we are looking directly in the face of police brutality, and we already know what happened in the 90s with the race riots in LA and with um, all those things, and then more recently with Trayvon Martin and, and just injustices occurring um far too frequently i would say um but you both were police officers for a period of time and we talked about this so um i guess just talk to me a little bit about that experience we start with ken um i um i went through police academy i think it was 1972 73 time frame i went through 14 weeks of police academy and I stayed on the force over three, three and a half years until I got transferred. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't see, quote unquote, the racism, but I knew it existed. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see it. And that was because we were also protected. One of my partners was a white lieutenant commander, mm-hmm. female. So, you know, we never had any problem. My other partner was a chief, a white chief. So we never had any problem. We never had any of those things, and I never knew of that stuff going on. But I worked the boats in Virginia, in Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach, and I uh, uh, can't think of the name of the place now. But we'd go out, we'd change, change uniform, put on swim trunks, and we'd go out and keep swimmers from going past the breakwater. I worked that a lot rather than, or oh, a sand bridge, rather than, um, you know, hunting criminals and so forth and so on. Right. As far as I was concerned, the way I got on the Little Rock Police Department, Dr. Jewell was on um, the city council at the time, and he flat asked me if I wouldn't mind taking the test and joining the police department. Mm-hmm. Said, oh, I'll take the test, you know. <laughs> so uh, I took the test on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, they swore me in. On a Friday, I was fitted for my uniforms. On a Saturday, I was at the qualifying, and on Monday, I was in a car. Yeah. That's what I mean. I didn't even get to go to the academy before I started working in the Lower Police Department. And at the time, there were only, in the Lower Police Department, there were only three blocks in the, in the police department. One of them was lieutenant. And he's the one that kind of helped with the other two guys. One of the other guys was an uh, uh, ex uh, uh, Marine. <laughs> he was a Marine, but he was, what I'm trying to say, he was, he was a M- police, what do you call right. it? MPs. Yeah. MPs, thank you. And so he'd already had all that experience. So um, I stayed on the you know, police department for, oh, nine months before I was asked to go to the state police. Okay. They were building a drug unit. Okay. So, okay, great. That's a great opportunity to get with the state police. 
So that's what we did. That's the first academy I ever went to, but it was an FBI academy for nothing but drug use. Right. Drug so, identification. So. so when you all, so Unglamorous, you kind of already said it, but did you see, did you have any direct experiences with like police brutality or witnessing that or having to deal with anything Internally? Not, 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 not brutality as we know it today. The attitude of the police in Little Rock at the time was you, you know, if you go to a crime or you see a crime being committed or you go to a call or something like that, you do what you have to do in order to satisfy what's going on at the time. Like a domestic violence thing, we very rarely uh, arrested anybody, mm-hmm. but we had to be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. But when it came to fights in a, in a club, <clears throat> you know, drunk and all that stuff, mm-hmm. guys did what they had to do. People got their heads full, <laughs> you know, installing one too, yeah. just to get them to calm down so we could arrest them. Right. But what we did know was when we went through that and something happened to another police officer, you would protect him because of that, whatever that it, word was that I gave you the other day, because the police were right, you know. Exactly, you know, and, 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 but most of my time with the Little Rock Police Department was with my partner was a black guy. So basically I went along with everything he did and he whooped some heads. Right. <laughs> There's no way that he did it. But you didn't, but, you didn't see like a discriminatory no, type. Not okay. The, not discriminatory type of whooping heads. No. Not like we see now. Okay. Right. Not what we see now, like last night when that boy got shot. Uh, and that was ridiculous. So, and it's something I thought that was interesting that um, Uncle Ramos, that, that you texted me after our talk. Do you remember about the investigations? Can you talk about that well, a little bit? Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember offhand, but anytime there was an investigation, you were to protect your fellow officer mm-hmm. regardless. It was like a... a, a, a yeah, a, a, not a I don't want to say clan, but a but a society. Click. So you, it was a clique. Yeah, it was a clique, yeah. And the same thing you see happening now. When you see all these officers getting off, it's because when they go in and make their investigative reports, they make it. And you saw one uh, the other day that didn't have any information on it all, and the right. lady got shot eight times. Breonna it Taylor. Said no, yep. no guns and none of this. Mm-hmm. So that's the type of thing that went on. Wait, and you also mentioned for when you go into the investigation um, in the internal affairs, if you were to say that I feared for my life, then that was right. kind of that was all you had to say. Oh, that, that still works. Yeah, it still works. And, and I think and that's interesting. I fear for my life, and I fear for my life. You saw it with that guy running the other night with the taser. Yes, we didn't know he had a taser until he turned. And once you turn, you got something in your hand. I'm shooting. Yeah, I'm, I would have done the same thing more than likely, but I don't think I'd have shot him in the back. But you know. It's and that's an interesting point about the fear for my life line because you know so many people are angry at the fact that that's what you hear when you come out of you know um, Tamir Rice in, in the toy gun right and he's this is a child and you said that you feared for your life but exactly. if you knew that's what you had to say to not get charged for murder then it oh, makes yeah. sense that that is what Let we hear you. so often. Interrupt you for a second. I'm the host of in, this podcast. In that particular instance with Tamir, as tragic as that was, I'd have done the same thing. I'd have done the same thing that cop did. Well, you Why? did tell us that you didn't because go to school for police to be a police officer. So. With his gun and you don't know what's... You don't have time to evaluate. 
I got to shoot it. I'm sorry. Yep. I got to And we are taught to, if you pull your weapon, you got to fire it. If you fire it, you got to kill the person. Those are the things we're taught. Simple as that. It really is. Would you Simple have shot him if he was a white kid? Huh? Would you have it shot him if he was a white kid? It wouldn't matter. <laughs> to me, it wouldn't matter. You wouldn't matter. But then, that's the way I was trained. Mm-hmm. You know, once a gun at you and you know it's a gun. You don't you know should. it's a gun. Yeah, obviously, it wasn't a in, gun. In the case of Tamir Rice, he knew it was a gun because the person who made the 911 call said he had a gun. So when the cops got there, but obviously it was a gun was, in his hand, and it was a gun. It's a, it toy. Was a toy. gun, but it's it was a, a gun. But it's a toy. But it was a gun. How you gonna know it's a toy? People it, have gotten shot with a cell phone in their hand because it yes, looks like a gun. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm not, I'm not saying what I'm saying to justify the stuff that's going on today. That's not why I'm saying that. Not at all. In a particular instance, this is what I would do. <laughs> that instance would happen with Tamir Rice, where one, the call was, that's a kid out here with a gun. And when you show up, you see that kid and he's got a gun. You don't stop to ask the kid, that toy. You don't stop to do that. You got to take action. Interesting. I mean... You know, it just, I don't know, I'm not going to get into the military side of it for you are, but I guarantee you, you're, you're out in the field and somebody's shooting at you, you're not going to stop and find out if that person's on your side or another side. They're shooting at you, you're going to shoot back. Am I right? Yeah, but the different story in the military is you know who your enemy is. And as a police officer, you don't know who's coming at you or not. You know you're going after the Taliban. You know you're going after this, this and that, the other people. But you don't know who's coming after you in the in the, in this world. And and working undercover like I did, I found that out real quick. Because you 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 working undercover, you become one of them. And becoming one of them, believe it or not, the police got yeah. you. I've, I've gotten hit three or four times, but well, we're off topic now, so. We've yeah, we're off topic. We've veered off topic into <laughs> okay. dad's theories on life. Um, so the point was that I think that my point of wanting to talk about that was that we see the this kind of I feared for my life reasoning a lot because that is kind of the surefire way to get you out of why you shot someone. It's also, also the law now. Right, it is the law. It's the law. Yeah. Um, Actually, if you hit somebody, if you cold cock somebody on the street, when the police got there, all you got to do is demand, I I, I fear for my safety. Yeah. That's all you got to say. And you're going to be in the right. Well, I think that a lot of times, too, um, we're met with the counter argument of, you know, the police. So, kind of what you just did, right? Like, so if I don't know who you are and I don't know what's going on, then I have basically have a right to be afraid of you for whatever mm-hmm. context, right? And people will say that that is across the board. I would do it if it was a white kid or if it was a black kid. That doesn't matter. That like that doesn't matter to me. And that's what people will use to say that the police force is not discriminatory or isn't racially 
biased. Um, but Uncle Ambrose, I did I fact checked this one when you said it last time from, from the origins of the police force to begin with. And and I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit skeptical. Like, am I gonna be able to find proof that this is where like the police came from? And um, turns out. Turns out the, the time this article in time has it right there. Like the police were were made to regulate slave runaways in the South exactly. specifically. That's why we had police to wrangle black people that tried to get away or were being unruly or whatever was going on in the plantation specifically. So the police were born out of a discriminatory practice uh, exactly. to begin with. So the fact that and people are surprised, it is. And I didn't know that before the other day when we talked about it. And so the, people, okay. the fact that people are surprised that this is like institutionalized. So it's like the, the, yeah. the, the quintessential Since example of racism. it was born from yes. a racist practice. So it, it's, it's just interesting how, what we've seen... Um, the police force mold and kind of evolve into, but okay. So we've been, so kind of for my last question, um, for y'all to answer and kind of this last point that we talked about last time as well. So the protests have been going on for like three weeks and, and everybody's kind of talking about one of these big things that white people or non black persons of color kind of don't have to do with their kids that black people do is kind of have this talk with them about like, this is how you should act around the police or like, this is what happens if you should be, could be pulled over. And so I just, I just open that up to you all. Cause you all have a different perspective on that. Cause the big thing is like, I had to have this talk with my kid and you don't have to do that. So, and I mean, Arita, that applies to you too. It just doesn't, it doesn't have to be just males. Right. And so and as far as you and I are concerned, you can answer that question with us. We really never talk like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a matter of fact, the only thing I ever tried to teach you guys was to respect everybody. Right. Who it was. <laughs> you know, if a cop pulled you over, just respect it. Period. Whether you was right or wrong. But we right. never specifically talked about the police. Never did. We never had the problem because, uh, as I t- said the other day, racism is taught. It's not something that you are born born with. So we never had to have that. I didn't have that uh, talk with my kids because I kept them under seclusion, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Well, mm-hmm. but we didn't have any problem with the police. Mm-hmm. Right. And that problem either. I didn't talk with my girls. You know. And I would say that we were fortunate enough, I think, as a collective family to not have lived in, like, we were we were upper, I would say, I guess, upper middle class. Um, Something like that. I don't know. I don't know what that, what the price <laughs> range is there. But, you know, we, we all, I would say that all of our families lived in good neighborhoods. Uh, with And we ate steak when we were young and all this mess, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got yeah. um, to go to Disneyland when we wanted to, that kind of thing. Right, that type of stuff. Yeah, sure. That's what it makes it. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that um, people will say, and yet, and yet we have still not experienced complete success in our family. Right. Right, and so to to have been, and that's how you all were raised by grandma and grandpa. Like you, you lived in a a neighborhood that wasn't a bad neighborhood. Um, 
Like you lived in a house. It wasn't, you know, you had a two parent household. Um, all of these things that are supposed to point towards, you know, that people will say, well, if you would have just done X, Y, Z better then you would have been successful. Right. So all of these things that they say were done for y'all when you were being raised and to see kind of like, right. And and to see the generations kind of unfold. Um, but that didn't, just because they, from what I hear, like socioeconomically, they did everything right and did not have a hundred percent success rate from their kids. Right. And so for some people to say, well, you just have to work really hard and you can be successful. is not always true, especially when you're black. That's why we kept putting our kids for education. Right. Yeah, education, education is very important. And you, you don't want to go and get educated at a school then you, or, or apply for a scholarship or apply yourself enough in high school to get a scholarship, then you go in the military. Yep. And they said, oh, no, I don't want to go in the military. Well, <laughs> do your thing. Right. Do your thing. Right. Which, is, which I think is an interesting point um, to not just... To, to not have to have or feel like you had to have a, a talk with your kids about how they need to act around the police or you should feel different because of the color of your skin um, and to intentionally kind of keep them out of the, the, or I guess underneath an umbrella almost of this is how you should be experiencing life um, and for us to still have to experience it. Exactly. Which is no. sad. Quite frankly, but the, the fact is, is recognition of it now. We mm-hmm. uh, we've been putting it aside, like, oh, it's not happening to me, so don't worry about it. But it's recognizing that it's going on, and then now we have the opportunity to do something as a whole to change or start changing some of these things that we talk about all the time. Yeah, and we got social media now. Back then, you wanted to talk to somebody, you wanted to know. <laughs> but yeah. now we got social media so I can reach out to you to say things you know as opposed to you know what we had to do or couldn't do exactly we didn't have a television we didn't have a television until 1950 what like that. we got a film phone black and white 25 inch I can never forget that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so and then we can't watch what we wanted to watch. We had to watch what Dad had to watch. Right. Okay. Black King Cole. Sounds familiar. <laughs> what, Mahalia Jackson, when she came on? Who was the guy that had the talent show that the, the Beatles and stuff was on? I can't think of his name. We oh, watched Dick it. Dick Clark. Dick Clark. Oh. Not Dick Clark. That was before Dick Ed Clark. Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan show. Oh, we watched yeah. Ed Sullivan oh, wow. show just yeah. religiously. Religiously. Wow. And my dad, dad would, if a black person came on TV, he'd bring the whole family. Sure would. Sure would. Everything. <laughs> Man, for a black person on television. No, he would say, it's a Negro on television. Because it was a big deal. Yeah. It was. Wow. It is still. If you got her TV show, that was a big deal. Deal. And when I met Sidney Poitier, I told him so. I met him down here in San Antonio some years ago, and I told him, I said, well, you are one of the people that gave me inspiration to do some of the things that I do, and saw you on this show and that show, and we enjoyed it, and thank you so much. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's big. That's big. But I wish we had the radio, though. I wish we had that. I'm sick. <laughs> 
That was some good shows on the radio. It was a Philco. I think it was a Philco, too. Yeah, bro. We get under the covers and stuff and try to keep the radio down because we didn't want Dad to know we were listening to the radio at night. <laughs> Does everybody nobody knows but the shadow do? <laughs> Arita, I have a question. Arita, I have a question. Yeah. Um, yeah. no, for Aunt Rita, I have a question for Aunt Rita. Okay. So you have all girls, obviously, to us. Um, but did were you were you ever afraid to have a son? No, I thought my first child was a boy. <laughs> hmm. That's what they told me in the hospital. Uh, no, I wasn't afraid to have one. No, no, I wanted one, but my husband didn't want any more kids after three girls. So yeah, that was a, the end of that. <laughs> wow. So, no, I wasn't afraid. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But no, Rick, Jeff put a cap on some of this. If I had to live my childhood again the way I lived it before, I would mm-hmm. do it. Whether I know what I know now or not, mm-hmm. I would do it. We had a ball. I'm not gonna lie. Yo, yeah. but there was the thing about I think that if you're not in the South or in that that area that you don't understand, like for me, especially growing up, right? Um, y'all were surrounded by family. So it wasn't like you really had to make friends. <laughs> you had like mm-hmm. a million cousins. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I sent you to visit Rita for a whole summer. Just <laughs> all the time. So you know what it was like. Seriously. That's the reason I did it. It was my black experience. <laughs> In a way, that's what it was. Me and Rita talked about it. And that's why we, yeah, that should be a good thing for her. <laughs> I'm salty. I'm so salty. I missed that yeah. cruise. We used to have some good times. Ball games in the backyard. Huh? Yeah, broke us, broke some pecan trees down <laughs> and got whipped about that. Didn't we? Woo. When we Let's got all of those pecan trees grew up, didn't they? Got pecans off. Hey, sure them. did. We still goes over there and picks. No, 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 no. I don't pick them now. <laughs> you don't pick them they are there. They are still. And the fig tree. Oh my goodness, the figs were good. That's going because it was up against the fence. The wooden, the mm-hmm. fence was left. Yeah, sounds good. Right. So, oh, well, man. let me just say thank you for doing this with me. Um, hopefully, I recorded. That'd be great if that worked right. But um, I did. I recorded it on two different things. So I have a mic that I recorded on as well, and then I, I recorded it on the actual Zoom thing. So hopefully, it works. Yeah. Good. I appreciate we you asking us to yeah, do it. Yeah. Any other questions, just let us know. And, you know, because always, it's always something coming up. It's like yes. last night, you had questions. Last night. Right. Yeah. right. Get a call me at 10 o'clock at night talking about, did you see it? I'm snoring. I'm calling I was about to <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what y'all are doing about late at night. But... Hey, Ambrose, they found out. Okay, this out. isn't a phone call. This is a podcast. Thank you, Kenneth. Yeah, this is a podcast. We're done. <laughs> thank, thank you for your time. Hey, I, I love your family. To watch this. Yeah, yes, I will. I'll, t- I'll talk to you. Send the information. Yes, in the email, in the information. Okay. Okay. All right. Love you. Thank you, Ashley. Bye. Bye. It's Bye. Bye, Rita. I'm gonna call you. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
I'm out of here. Okay, goodbye. Uh